Grassroots Community Network is now available to podcast. Enjoy all your favorite programming, whether you are making the commute to or from work, enjoying a jog through the mountains, or just hanging around the house. And don't forget that Grassroots offers over 4,000 shows on demand on our webpage, www.grassrootstv.org. Simply use the search tool in the upper right corner to locate your content. There are many ways to connect with your community. For podcasts, visit our homepage on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. All direct links, including a direct link to subscribe to our RSS feed, can be found under the search bar on our homepage. And remember, you are Grassroots Community Network. Please consider contributing by visiting our website at www.grassrootstv.org or by calling us at 970-925-8000. Thank you. Welcome to the Jerry Bovino Show. And now, here's Jerry. Jerry Bovino, we're back with a special treat today. The dangerous dating divorcee, Kelly Green, the <laughs> author you. of Back in the Game. Kelly, welcome to Grassroots Thank Television. You. And welcome Jerry. to Aspen. Thank we're happy you. to have you. Yeah, Although you, you have a little history in Aspen. I do. I love Aspen, coming in the winter, coming in the summer. So it's great to be back. So Kelly wrote a, a, a wonderful memoir chronicling her life after her divorce, let's say, yeah. that's mainly the focus of it. It talks a little yeah. bit about your career before. Yeah. But start us out in the beginning. You grew up in Texas. I grew up in Texas and um, went to college in Texas and kind of grew up in a Southern family, fairly conservative, and um, went out of school and launched into a really um, great technology career, and I was fortunate to have that really throughout my life, and still do. And it's you worked for party. Cisco Systems. Worked for Cisco. I worked for a number of startup companies that were acquired, and so it's been a, a great platform um, for me to travel and, and just grow as a person. So really value that. Perfect. And then while you were in California, you met your husband. I did. Tell us about your husband. What's his name? What was his name? His name is David. David. Um, still David, but he's not <laughs> still your David. Yeah. Anymore. <laughs> Yeah, so we met in um, San Francisco. I had moved out there with Cisco. was really there a short amount of time, maybe three to six months before we met. And we met in kind of a famous part of, of San Francisco, the Marina District, which is where I lived for about eight years after that. And so what attracted you to your husband? Do you remember what was different about him than the other men you met that, that you said to yourself, wow, maybe I could have a life with this person? I think initially uh, there's a chemistry, and I think that's true with any dating. Is you, you know, chemistry and is plays such a big factor. Chemistry is the single most important really thing, is. and that's why sometimes you have people who are trying to align to a man and a woman, and they say, "Oh, you went to the same school, and yeah. you both like yoga." It's all irrelevant in the end. It's chemistry. It's biochemical. It is chemistry and you never know what's going to make that happen or what's not going to make it happen and I think 
a lot of people will have these, you know, conceptions about an ideal mate and what that person should look like, where they went to school, where they live, what age they are, that sort of thing. And I think there's, there's some truth to that. You don't want to go too far off. Um, but I think it's really important to be open, and, and that's kind of how I defined dating dangerously, is going outside of that box that we would traditionally say, oh, this is, this is what I think my mate should look like. Yeah, I've actually had a lady on my show who wrote a New York Times bestseller called How to Find a Husband Using the Skills I Acquired at the Harvard Business School. Ah, and the <laughs> I'll interesting, have to read that. <laughs> the interesting thing that she, that she uh, said was that the women who have found great mates they said they found the man of their dreams, but it didn't come in the box they expected. So true. Interesting. A different package. Yeah. You know, they were looking for a six-foot, two-inch hedge fund guy, and they found a five-foot, seven-inch accountant, but he was great. Yep. So, okay, so now you met David, and you had four kids. We did. It what was are a, the kids' names? Um, I've got eight-year-old twins, Halston and Hendricks, boy-girl. And then I've got another six-year-old daughter, Ivy, and a five-year-old son, Jagger. Beautiful. Yeah. Say hello to them. Hi. Hi, kids. <laughs> so, and do they know about this book? Do they have any They idea do. About I it? mean, they're still fairly young, so they don't obviously have a, a grasp of the content, but uh, they, they watched me throughout the writing process, and it was really fun to have them be next to me as I was creating it and, and going through the publishing process and all of that. And they've since then kind of written their own little novels and, you know, have their own little journals and stories, which is great. Very nice. But the one thing that I was fascinated by, and I think I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up, your book, and for those of you who read the book back in the game, get it, you can get it on Amazon, right? And it will also be here in Aspen and Explore. So. Okay, and yeah. Explore. Yeah. It's brutally honest. It's it brutally is. honest to the point that if I were in your shoes, and this is why I admire you greatly, Kelly, I would be concerned that my children would read this and not have the, the airbrushed picture that children have of their parents. Yeah. Tell me what you were thinking as you were writing a brutally honest book, including Frank's sexuality, yeah. that someday my kids are going to read this. Yeah, you know, and I think that's really the number one question that I got from my family and my friends is is typically I'm a very private and kind of introverted person. And so for me to open up like this and um, express some of these things that I think are really important to women, um, my children were definitely one of the number one concerns there. I think their age right now has some factor in that they there will be a, a time gap in the time that they can read it and understand it. Um, but my hope is that one day they can read it and learn from my experiences and some of the things that we went as, through. As any perfect. woman can, and I think that's the, that's the message that for any woman who's gone through what you have, or for a man looking at it from the other side, yeah. going through the divorce, and we'll talk about the circumstances surrounding that, yeah. but that there is a life afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I just, I really admire the way you put it out there without airbrushing it, without sugarcoating it. Yeah. Because, and ultimately... Children learn that their parents aren't perfect. Eventually okay. they do. They Eventually do. they figure it out. <laughs> because they're going to someday learn that they're not perfect. Yeah. So you had this perfect dream marriage to a dream guy, David, yeah. who, mm -hmm. and you thought you were pretty happy. At the time, tell, tell our viewers a little bit about the fact that, in retrospect, maybe everything wasn't as perfect as you hoped. Definitely. I th I'm not sure exactly what point it happened, um, but 
we kind of came into this place where we really weren't making each other happy. And, you know, I personally kind of became almost robotic, a very kind of frozen state. And I think it can happen to women occasionally um, and to men as well, where, you know, we're, we're, we're in this process. We have four children. We've made this commitment. We want to continue with the commitment. And we don't stop to ask ourselves, you know, am I happy? And if I'm not happy, it's okay to admit that. But what would make me happy? Yeah, you know, your life was uh, outwardly to the rest of the world, which mm -hmm. is frequently the case. Yeah. It looked perfect, but I always say on the, sh on the show that a normal family is just one you don't know that well. True. And <laughs> under the surface, we all have, you know, once you start peeling the onion, there are all things going on. But you, until the incident with the text message, yeah. which you can tell our viewers about, yeah. you, you probably would have stayed around. You didn't realize that it was as bad as, as what it turned out to be. So tell Definitely. us, tell us what was that inflection point with the text message? Well, I think that, you know, in all marriages, either you wind up staying married or occasionally you'll have, you know, a strong inflection point that really, you know, cracks the ice and says, I need to pay attention and, and wake up and see what's going on here. And for me, you know, I did discover some things about my husband that um, I was not excited about. <laughs> he got a text message he from did. another Melissa. Was that her name? What uh, was her I, name? I didn't name her name. Though. He did get a, a text message from another woman, you know, in California. Was she younger? She was younger, um, which was very painful at the time as well. And um, so, you know, we we addressed that. And I think at that point, I learned a lot about myself as far as, you know, can women forgive infidelity? And um, and the answer, of course, yes. I, yeah, I, I learned that you can forgive. You know, and so. We kind of came back together and um, over the next year, you know, tried to sort things out and move forward. And in the process, learned a lot about myself at that point. Um, and he did as well. And in the end, decided, you know, that it just wasn't going to work. Did you go for forward. counseling? Was that helpful? Yeah, it was helpful quite a bit. I mean, it shone a light on myself. And I think that it probably kicked off this journey of um, self-reflection and being introspective about dating and, and who I am and what I want. So And so... Did he wind up with uh, the bachelorette number one, or was that just a transitional person for him? Yeah, I think it was um, conceptual. You know, he wasn't sure what he was, was wanting, and um, he, you know, had to sort out some things for himself. So he, he is not with bachelorette number one. <laughs> Did he remarry or not? Uh, he's not remarried, yeah. No? So uh, what's your relationship like with him? You know, uh, divorce is a really painful and messy and, 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 and trying thing, even on the, on the best of people. So I would say that our relationship right now is, you know, as good as it can be. And especially because you're going to be tied together for we a are. lifetime. You yeah. have four children. You're going to have graduations, marriages. marriages all of that, You're right? going to be tied Holidays. together forever. Yeah. Holidays, Christmas, it's all going to be there. So it's, it's in your interest and in the children's interest, Absolutely. both of you, to, to make it work. Yeah, and I see these people that are farther along in the process, and, and the, the respective couples or, or partners are remarried, and they're spending holidays together, and they're spending time together, and I think, gosh, you know, how can you ever get there? But um, it's amazing what, you know, life and family will bring together and, and how that can work out just fine. So Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to hear the entire story post-divorce, and believe me, <laughs> the good stuff. this is good stuff. <laughs> We're going to take a short break first to recognize the underwriters who very generously support us here at Grassroots Television. U.S. Trust, the premium name in private wealth management, the Bovino Law Firm, David Bovino and Lauren Roberts. And 
the uh, Bishop Plumbing Heating and Air Conditioning Company. When we come back, we're going to hear the story about what happened after the marriage failed. We're going to hear about Leonardo DiCaprio's party, and we're going to hear about the question that apparently Kelly likes boys to ask her is, can I kiss you? We're coming right back. <laughs> Support for this grassroots community television program comes from U.S. Trust. From wealth structuring to investment management, U.S. Trust's global perspective, unique team approach, fiduciary platform, and more than 200 years of experience provide for the kind of insights, solutions, and expertise that have a worth all their own. Bovino Law Firm, a boutique law firm specializing in complex litigation, real estate, leasing, and sales. Corporate organization, trust, and estates. Admitted in Colorado, California, and New York, David Bovino and Summer Woodson at 970-925-4445 or www.bovinolaw.com. Bishop Plumbing and Air Conditioning, serving Aspen and Vail for over 40 years. Shoe covers, name tags, IDs. Let Bishop worry about your heating, plumbing, and air conditioning issues so that you don't have to. Bishop Plumbing and Air Conditioning, 925-8610. Silver Peak Apothecary is the first cannabis retail store in the city of Aspen, offering a fine selection of bud, flower, and infused cannabis products, as well as accoutrements from glassware, oils, soaps, along with books, t-shirts, and educational material. Silver Peak Apothecary is located at 520 East Cooper Avenue in downtown Aspen and is open daily from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. For more information, visit us on the web at www.silverpeakapothecary.com or call 970-925-4372. Jerry Bovino, we're back with the dangerous dating divorcee, Kelly Green, the author of Back in the Game, chronicling her life after her divorce. And believe me, this was not boring. So the one thing I wanted to ask you is beautiful women, and you're a beautiful woman, have power over men. Do you, are, are you cognizant of that power? When you meet men, do you sort of exploit it? Do you play it for all it's worth? Do you play it down? Are you embarrassed by it? Tell me what that dynamic is like. I, I mean, you bring up a great point. It is a very interesting dynamic. I don't think that um, I play it for anything. I think at this point in life, you know, you, as you get older, you don't have time to play those sort of games and that sort of thing. But I think that um, you're also trying to read the mail on the other side. Sometimes they think that that beauty is a prize for them or um, would like to, you know, extort it in some way. And so I think I'm cognizant of that. It's an interesting uh, thing because you're aware of it. I mean, when you walk into a room, a bunch of guys, they're going to come over and say hello. It's not an uncommon phenomenon in your life. That's how you got your husband, right? I, th I think it's great. I think that more um, men should not be afraid to come up to any woman and tell her that she's beautiful or to engage in that conversation. And I know some women are... Um, don't want to be objectified or, you know, would like to downplay appearances in lieu of, of who they are or, or smarts. And that you'll get to that, right? But I think it's really nice that a man can appreciate a woman. But you can't woman. deny it. I think it was Aristotle who said there is no 
letter of reference as effective as good looks because that's the first thing that people see. So, okay, your divorce is yeah. over. Now you're trying to get yourself back on track. You're totally off the rails. Your friend invites you to a birthday party in New York. Start with the private jet. Give us the whole... <laughs> So, I, you know, one thing about divorce is I think it's so key to have a great support system. And I was so fortunate in my life and through this process that I had amazing people around me and supporting me and, and giving me various opportunities to explore life and really get out there. And one of the first things came through a, a very dear friend of mine in Austin uh, had this last-minute party invitation. And it was literally the next night um, that we would be flying to Manhattan. So we you hadn't dated anybody at this point. I hadn't dated. It's hadn't, just let's go to this party. I hadn't even flirted with anybody at this point. Mm -hmm. So it was very early, you know, right out of the, you know, recently filed for the divorce. So um, I definitely was not mentally prepared, you know, for a, a, a large social situation where I have, have the potential to, to flirt and to meet men and that sort of thing. So you so. flew on the private jet. Everybody napped. When you got there. You got to Teterboro, you went into the city, yes. and then they had dresses for you and makeup. Give us the whole... Again, my friend is so dear to me. She had this, you know, um, welcoming thing set up for us where we had some champagne and she had some dresses picked out for us and makeup and hair and just really went the extra mile to make me shine and ha try to bring back the self-confidence that she knew that I had, but had been really kind of sucked out or lost through the through the divorce process. And this was for Leonardo DiCaprio's birthday party. It was. A fundraiser. All the rich and famous were there. Yes. And you, they gave you a dress that was the tightest dress yeah. you ever had. <laughs> and it was one of these things that if you have a dime in a pocket, you can tell if it's heads or tails. And Pretty it was much. the shortest dress the you shortest ever dress. wore. Yes. Yeah, we joke about it now. I, I I, I tried it on not too long ago with my friend, and I said, surely the dry cleaner has shrunk this by now. And she said, oh, no. <laughs> and did you have, like, the six-inch Jimmy Choo's going on? Of course, on? The yes. The whole thing. Yes. So you, it was at Tao. It was at Tao. You walk in. Tell us the story. It was, um, again, I was really, you know, at this point in my, in my life, very kind of insecure about dating and meeting men again and flirting, and then was, you know, projected into this great you know social scene in this party where that's what you should be doing is mingling and meeting people and that sort of thing and so you know in in typical uh leonardo style there was a lot of models there you know a lot of just gorgeous these russian gorgeous, girls at six feet beautiful. with the legs that go to oh, their throat yes, beautiful how is women. that anatomically possible and i bet that does it goes right and to so many throat. of them i think he you know flew around the world and handpicked a, a gazillion of them so um it was the whole party, I was just incredibly impressed with Leo as well as far as being a, a philanthropist or a fundraiser. You know, he, he used his birthday as a platform to raise money for his, his foundation. And, you know, he, he knows how to throw a party, you know. <laughs> he had beautiful women, interesting men, you know, amazing entertainment. It was, it was great. A-Rod came over. He did. So um, we He had works out here sometimes when he rehabs at the Aspen Club. And uh, he's, a, he's a very nice guy. Oh, my gosh. He's so charming. You know, I didn't know a lot about him before I had met him the first time and, you know, read a little bit more after, after meeting him. But so incredibly charming. I mean, he will make you feel like you are, you know, the most beautiful woman, you know, in the room. Yeah. And just very engaging, you know, locked on and very inquisitive and wants to know about you. But you didn't wind up going home and going to bed with him that night, did you? I didn't. Did you regret that later? I don't know if I regretted it so much as I regretted 
not being able to read, you know, flirting and social cues and being able to respond. Because you were rusty or you just... I was rusty. I was, I was rusty and, you know, um, men can give off certain, um, you know, cues that they're interested and, in, you know, the touching. And I was very unclear if he was interested in me or, you know, kind of what his motivations were. So. Well, the interesting thing to me about your personal experience you were in a private jet, you go to DiCaprio's party. It's almost like an Aspen phenomenon. I, I always say about Aspen, we're two square miles surrounded by real life. Mm -hmm. And most women aren't going to have, after divorce, like they might meet a plumber on Match.com or yeah. something. We're, nothing wrong with yeah. that. The guy can earn a living. You know, He's better than most. Yeah. But they're not going to be hobnobbing with movie stars. And so you're aware that your experience wasn't just your garden variety Absolutely, but I think that same experience happens to multiple women. It could happen, uh, the feeling and the emotion of I'm not quite ready, and here I have this fabulous guy in front of me, and I'm not you know, emotionally or ready to respond to that. And so that could happen you know, at, at your neighbor's house, at a PTA meeting or whatever. And I think the, the, the lesson that I learned from that was I had a lot of work to do on myself not just how would you how categorize that work? You said some things in the book that I think yeah. will resonate with everybody watching this show. You said marriage is hard in the best of times. Mm -hmm. That was incredibly insightful. Yeah. It's like almost impossible for married people to get along like for a day, let alone for years and decades. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I realized, you know, that with the Alex Rodriguez situation and, and the difficulties in the marriage that I had really lost different pieces of myself um, that I needed to rediscover and, and put back together for, for Kelly Green to be whole. And you said that a woman can lose herself. Mm -hmm. Now, a segue from your most recent comment, a yeah. woman can lose herself in her desire to please her spouse. Absolutely. Talk about that. Well, I think particularly, you know, my generation of women grew up um, with great opportunities for career and being independent and um, being self-sufficient. And it's amazing to, to feel all those things and to have that for yourself. And, and we focus on that. And, and I was able to re retain kind of a, a independence or my sense of self there. But then to translate that into a relationship where you continue to speak your voice or speak your, your thoughts um, can get tricky, you know? We and you felt like your voice had sort of been subjugated to the more dominant voice of your husband in this case. Absolutely, yeah. Did, were you aware of it when it was happening or only in yeah. retrospect did in that retrospect, come out? In retrospect, and I think, you know, um, and this is a common theme when I talk about the book for, for women that are still married, women that are divorced or dating is, you know, uh, keeping your voice and being able to express who you are, your likes, your needs. And, I, you know, I had lost mine so much that I really wasn't sure what I needed. Would, for the women watching this show who might be, let's say, having a problem with their husband, whatever it might be mm -hmm. or not, yeah. do you wish that you had worked harder to save your marriage or do you think you did everything you could? Because uh, there, there are people out there who are watching this and saying, well, what should I do? Yeah. And what should they do? Should you have worked harder? Is the grass greener? Um, I felt like by the end of the, my course that I had done everything, you know, mutually, I think uh, David and I had done everything that we probably could at that time to save our marriage, um, you know, including things that are, you know, maybe not necessarily conventional. 
And I think, you know, that's a personal decision for anyone of whether they've done enough or not. But I think the best thing that you can do is just pay attention to yourself. You know, start listening to your internal voice, start being curious about yourself. Um, you weren't curious I about yourself before yeah. your divorce, were you? Mm -hmm. no. And if you learned a lot about yourself, which you, if you read the book, you'll find all kinds of interesting stuff, including <laughs> kissing Julia. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. uh, all right, so now you get back and you have this like dream party. Yes. It's great. Back you to Leo's party. You didn't go home with Alex Rodriguez, but you maybe could have if you would have read the cues differently. Perhaps. You get back and then a friend introduces you to a Michael. Yes. And let's talk about Michael. So Michael was the first person that I actually, you know, had a date with and is uh, an, an incredibly deep, soulful person. A Texan. A Texan. Um, he splits his time really, he's mainly in Europe now, but he splits his time business-wise between Europe and, and Texas. And, and before we go into Michael, yeah. there's a universal theme, except for the rock star, that runs through this list of men that you've met, and they're successful. Talk about why successful men are so sexy and why they have a power on these beautiful women. I mean, I think it's the alpha male, you know, attraction. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, women are attracted to it. I think men and women are attracted to anyone with confidence and that's been able to... Confidence, that's a good term. Yeah, make good decisions in their life and navigate. And, um, you know, I personally like men that have succeeded and failed and know what that failure that's a brilliant, looks like. It's a brilliant observation because we, we don't learn very much from success. You right. learn a lot from failure. Yeah. And I'm not afraid to fail. I mean, I think the old joke about Thomas Edison is that he, you know, he didn't fail a hundred times in making the life. He found 99 ways you can't make one. Yeah. And he kept going. And, and divorce is the same. The failure aspect is an is opportunity to start back over you know, with the knowledge that you've learned and, and to, you know, take that forward. So. But divorce isn't necessarily a failure. I know we paint it You're right. to a certain extent yeah. like that in our society, but the truth of it is some people, like, they fall in love and they grow apart, and it's not because either one of them is bad or has failed. Yeah, it and just, it's okay. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. it didn't I mean, work. like I said, it's almost impossible that you could get along for yeah. more than six months. Yeah. Okay, so... You're with Michael. You liked Michael. You were attracted to I Michael. I did, yes. He wasn't your, like, movie star handsome guy. He no, was bald. he's Tell bald. Us. He's, um, he, he is, uh, you know, right around under six feet and bald and wears glasses. And um, But something on a really deep level spoke to me about him. He had character. He had character. He was involved in orphanages in yeah. India. The guy wasn't, he wasn't a schmuck. He was doing stuff. Not at all, Yeah. And, you know, I think you would consider him an alpha male, but he certainly doesn't um, dress the part or, you know, his priorities are um, helping other people and making things happen. And uh, that was very interesting and different for me. And he was very different from your husband. Very. But you were very attracted to him. And in the end, he didn't reciprocate the way you wanted. So explain that. Yeah, that, I mean, it was very um, disappointing and painful for me. And I think... You know, him being the first person that I dated, I thought, oh, gosh, you know, I've already found my, my next husband. Like it happened so quickly. <laughs> right? But did it happen quickly because he was such a unique person or were you emotionally ready to be in love again? I definitely was not emotionally ready to be in love again. I thought I was. And so I was projecting that onto what would be the first partner. I think that's very common after a divorce, too, in that we typically want to replace what we didn't have. And you kind of latch on to 
you know, what looks good. And, and so for, for Michael, there was both of that. But he was wise enough to see that I needed some space and some time and to, to, to go down that path with me right away would be a mistake. Yeah, because he knew you were on the rebound. and You know, I was and, crazy. <laughs> yeah. So then what happened? He sort of told you that he didn't want to be in a relationship with you. Explain that. He did. It was it was heartbreaking for me. You know, uh, he said... <laughs> There's nothing worse than hearing the words, welcome to dumped yeah. population right. you. <laughs> right after divorce, yeah. right? I know, it's yeah, horrible. It is. Like, why doesn't he love me, right? Yeah, I, I, it was that was difficult for me to understand. It was, you know, it was, it was heartbreaking. So, but, you know, we moved on. So we moved on. So what happened after Michael? Did you ever do computer dating or not? I never did online dating. Um, and I feel like, I thought I considered it, but I feel like it's commitment and it's a lot of work. It's a war. It's a lot of work. But it's a numbers game. Not every girl has the ability to be invited to these parties on private jets. She has to get out of her apartment. Absolutely, I think it does works. It does work. So what happened after Michael? So after Michael, I don't know. I feel like I kind of took a little bit of a break after him and realized that I wasn't, you know, in a real healthy situation and needed to kind of give myself some time to heal and. And things like that. Um, and then, you know, my friends through the spring started to invite me to do more trips. And I and I went to um, New York and to the Hamptons to visit a good friend of mine. On Hamptons and Aspen, which is going to be a recurrent <laughs> theme in the book. And it's really the same 500 people. You know right, that. Right, right. Hamptons, Aspen, Palm Beach, St. Bart's. That's it. Yes, yep, yep. There's a little side cities on the side there, but yeah. So, um, yeah, I went to Hamptons. It was my, my first experience in the Hamptons, and um, I wasn't sure what to, to expect. And it was obviously like Aspen is just beautiful, and um, the people are very interesting and that sort of thing. And, and after dinner, we went to uh, a place called the Hamptons Social Club. And, um, Which is just like what it sounds. Absolutely. You know, at night, it's, it, during the day, it's a restaurant. It's a very nice restaurant. And at night, they remove the tables, and then it becomes kind of a full dance floor and, and party and outside garden, and it's just beautiful. So. And tell us who you met. So, you know, upon walking right into the door, a, a gentleman crossed in front of my path, and he, he is the, you know, alpha male, the six-foot, you know, very handsome, kind of charming, and... Um, he said, uh, do I know you from somewhere? And at this point, I'm still very green as well. And I'm thinking, maybe I do. You know, it caught me so off guard. And yeah. he looked somewhat familiar. It's, it's kind of a tired line, but. It worked. <laughs> and then I realized it was a line. So, um, you know, I said, no, I don't think so. And, and went to mingle on into the, into, the, into the bar and the restaurant. And just a couple of minutes later, he came back around. And he said, um, so are you from around here? And I thought this guy is like hitting on me again like the same guy in the same like time frame so it was, we, he had completely forgotten he tried forgotten. earlier yeah back to your point on the numbers game you know I guess eventually it works out so um but but you liked him right away I did I you know I was attracted to him right away and what I liked about him the second time around is he was very self-deprecating he admitted that he had done something kind of silly and he you know was able to to laugh at himself and kind of that allowed him to break into, you know, the girl group that I had there. So. And, what, and he was 
the hedge fund guy? That, he, he, Timothy, that's what we call yes, Timothy, Timothy, right? yeah. He, Some uh, of these names aren't a change to correct, protect the innocent. Correct, yes. But Timothy, you were very attracted to Timothy. Yeah, I mean, he is definitely, you know, what you would consider an alpha male. He's, he's a true New Yorker, was raised in, in New York and has been in Manhattan, and that's his world. He lives in and, 15 Central Park West, which is the Nook Plue Ultra building yes, in New York. yes. Um, so, yeah, he's very successful and um, he, you know. How much of his success were you attracted to versus just, hey, there's a good looking, nice guy? You know, I've initially, you know, when you're first getting to know someone, you don't really know those things and I think they unfold over time. Um, but what I was attracted to was his, his confidence and, and his, um, he wasn't aggressive towards me, but he was assertive. He, he knew what he wanted and he was going to sort that out to get it. He was patient. But I, I know a, a girl here in Aspen who, you know, met a billionaire, and it's hard not to be attracted to. There's an old joke that a billionaire's jokes are always funny, you know. <laughs> and I just always wonder how much of the attraction is that power and money versus the fact that, gee, he's a really smart, interesting, good-looking guy. Well, initially, it was that he's a smart, kind of interesting guy. As we, you know, got into the relationship, obviously, um, money and those things kind of unfold, and you see but that. But you already had a, a comfortable financial. I'm comfortable. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a different level, right? I mean, yes, I, I'm comfortable. For anybody, yeah. Yeah, that that was a different level. Um, but it wasn't like you were worried about paying your rent the next month. Your husband was successful. I mean. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, I wasn't desperate, you know, so I, I felt like maybe I could make those choices for myself. But, you know, as as we got into the relationship, that, you know, lure of um, someone taking care of you and being very comfortable and not really having to worry about anything. And he was very much a caregiver and but wanted to But you're getting care back into that control phenomenon mm -hmm. because as soon as you let them take care of you, yeah. now he's sending the driver and he's picking you up. Yes. And he's, Talk about that orchestration of your life. That was very difficult for me because, you know, again, being a very independent person, um, allowing someone to care for me was something that I had to learn again. And that can come in a lot of different forms, you know, certainly monetary and logistics and things like that. But then also just the, the basic emotional um, caring for someone is really what's important. Um, but for me to be cared for at all was something that I, I struggled with coming out of the marriage. Did your husband care for you in the same way, did you think? Because you didn't think that your husband sort of, it was a different relationship with your husband. Definitely. And maybe it's always like that in marriage, but talk about your experience. I think, you know, over time, I probably removed the opportunities for him to care for me. Um, wanting to retain some sort of independence, some sort of self, while all the while I was losing myself. And so that's, you know, kind of the struggle. Um, but with Timothy, you know, it was, it was definitely important for me to allow him to care for me. And we definitely had some, you know, uh, struggles and, and some combative times for him really wanting to take control of the situation and move things forward. And But to answer your question about the money and that allure, eventually... Um, you have to make a decision, you know, is, is, is that what I really need or is there other, other pieces that I really need? But the, the, the entire caring for you thing is good, I guess, up to a point. But you, when, when if it sort of crosses over into control, it becomes less interesting. Yeah. And during this time period, Kelly, you're becoming sexually active with this man yep. after, your, after these men after your divorce. Yeah. And you said something in the book that was, that caught my attention. You said, well, then they started to ask me about my fantasies. 
And I realized during my marriage that it was something that I didn't even have any fantasies because we never talked about that. Talk about that physical aspect of your marriage and then what happened in the post-divorce period. Well, I think that um, women in general, particularly in their late 30s and 40s, you know, maybe your sex life isn't what it was in your 20s, but yet I, I feel like it should be. Um, in the marriage, you know, it was, again, part of losing my voice and knowing what I, I wanted and what I needed, I had lost that piece of it. And it was important for me to... Did you discuss sexuality with your husband? Was that a, something that the two of you could sit and talk about, or it just was, like, ignored? I think we tried at certain points, but, um, you know, for most people, and for particularly for women, a good, healthy sex life is very dependent on a, a positive mental state, right? So... Yeah, I always say sex is a barometer of the relationship. It really is, yeah. And so I think that because we had other negative pieces going on, you can't start with the sex and work backwards. You've got to fix, you know, and be happy in other places, and then it moves into the right, you know, Well, there's some couples, you know, they have great sex, so they're always having makeup sex all Yeah, <laughs> that works for some people, right? Yeah. So, and then these new, these new men are asking you about your fantasies, and yeah. did you actually have to think, do I have any fantasies? What was I mean, you know, the first time with Michael, he asked me that, and I, I, I was stumped, you know, and uh, that made me realize I, I need to, what do I want? You know, I need to spend some time thinking about what I want, what makes me feel good, and not be, um, you know, shy or bashful about asking for that and, and getting that, you know. And so Michael was the first one. But your relationship evolved with these different men. You yes. became different as you dated different men, didn't Absolutely, you? Absolutely, yeah. Tell us about a little bit about that evolution. And, you know, even with Timothy, I, I, there was a part of me that realized that I had to still piece together some pieces of, of who I was. And it wasn't like I was specifically saying, okay, now I'm going to work on this piece and now I'm going to work on that piece. But I think that, you know, dating gives us the opportunity to reflect off a person. cared for, finding my voice, you know, all of those were some of the first things that I needed to work on. Um, as I opened up, definitely, you know, finding my sexuality again was key and, you know, holding on to that. And Could you have found that again within the context of your marriage had you been, had your relationship been different or do you think, because when you meet, when you're with new people, obviously it yeah. can't be the same as being with yeah. the same person for 10 years. It can't be. Yeah. I think any of these things in, in, that, I, that I learned throughout this journey could be learned in the context of a relationship. And I definitely believe that um, you can have a great sex life or your sexuality come back within the context of a marriage. But it does have to start, you know, with other things first. So you wound up in, in the Pierre, yes. uh, spending the <laughs> night in the Pierre. One of the things I want to get to is you're a girl from Texas. You're just a nice girl from Texas. Yeah. You didn't go to Harvard and Yale no. and all this hedge fund crap no. that the New York scene is filled with. And at the beginning, you were a little bit intimidated by it. Say, well, what are they going to see in me? Yes. Yeah, I definitely. I, I think throughout the process, I'm in these big cities. And, you know, um, after, I guess, Timothy, I had taken another girl's trip. Again, I, I, I'm, you know, definitely have a lot of girl's trips in my life, which is, I think is a great thing. 
And I had gone to uh, Los Angeles and was staying at the Chateau Marimont and met another gentleman that um, lived in London. And Alex. Alex, yes. Um, Alex had a ripped body. I remember that Alex from had the an book. amazing body. He's a very disciplined person, very um, attention to detail, is, you know, artistic eye, um, you know, he's very big in the art world, um, also in more of the private equity, you know, finance Another world. successful man. Yeah. And tell us about his black Laurel Piano sweater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I met him at the hotel, and against my better judgment, I did decide to go on a, a date um, that evening. And so we went out to, to Malibu and had uh, dinner at, at Nobu there by the ocean, and he came in and was just... Again, his eye and his attention to detail and everything was just amazing. And he came in in this beautiful black cashmere sweater, and it was just, you know, stunning. It was the most beautiful thing you ever saw <laughs> on a man, you say. Because he knew what his body was like under Absolutely, it. yeah. And Alex, like, now, was, who was the guy who said, don't Google me? That was Timothy. The Timothy. Hitch, the true New Yorker. Tell does the story. Not want to be he said, I'll give you my name, but don't Google me. What yes. was on Google about yeah. Timothy? <laughs> I mean, I think... Um, Living in Manhattan and being, a, you know, a high-profile hedge fund manager and owner of a hedge fund and, and, and going through a divorce and things like that, you know, the tabloids there in page six like to pick up a lot of things and had picked and up they some. Do. They do. Had picked up uh, quite a bit about his private life and the divorce and that sort of thing. And so, yeah. Okay. But we eventually did Google him. And your friends called you, right? <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> you won't believe this guy. There's a part of me that's very kind of Pollyannish or optimistic. And, um, you know, I was willing to kind of overlook some of the things that had happened in his life. And, and, and truly, you know, things like that can happen in a person's past. And um, they're still a good person at heart. And so I think that, you know, he's moving forward with his life. Yeah, everybody can screw up at one absolutely. point. We all do. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, so then we have Alex, and he's got his sweater and his hard body. And, he, <laughs> and then we're going, we didn't tell the story about running across Central Park in your stilettos at 8 o'clock in the morning. we, we got to squeeze that in. Yeah, so well, this is with Alex. You know, I met him in California, and, and he went back to London, and I kind of, you know, I wasn't sure that we would really see each other again with the, continental di distance now because I have all these long distance situations going on in New York or you know California and that's and they were going on contemporaneously was there ever any question from these men that what kind of relationship are we in an exclusive relationship or was it just understood that you're going to do your thing when you're not around I'll do my thing was it discussed or was it like don't ask don't tell I think in certain situations it was discussed it was definitely discussed with Timothy you know that was a longer um, relationship and um, was also just somewhat implied. I mean, I think you know, you feel the commitment when someone's committed to you. I don't know if you always need to ask for it, um, but if they want to be with you, they want to be Did with you. Did you want a commitment from Timothy at that point? I didn't really want a commitment from anyone at this point because I was not prepared to commit commit myself. You weren't you didn't, weren't ready to be in a yeah. monogamous relationship. I was ready to be monogamous. I mean, when I was with Timothy, I wanted to just be with Timothy. It wasn't like I was out. Um, looking for you know other other people or other situations, but whether I was really ready to commit to something long term was you know more of a challenge for me at that point. Okay, so now Alex, we're you're you're running across Central Park in your stilettos after a night <laughs> in the in the pier. If you don't know the pier, it's extremely elegant. 
So Alex came back from um, London and he said, I'm having a birthday party in New York. And um, I, at this point, I really wasn't sure what our relationship was, if it was more friendly or if we were going to date or, or, you know, what the situation was. And, um, but you were attracted to Alex. Absolutely, yeah. He's a very interesting man, very interesting. I was wondering, as I read your book, mm -hmm. you're surrounded by all of these, at least on their surface, very appealing men, handsome, yeah. successful wealthy, yeah. powerful. I was wondering, was any of this written to sort of get back at your husband? You know, my dad actually was the one that asked me that question. And um, no, I mean, you know, the, these are events that happened to me. I, you know, I couldn't intentionally go out and, and, and see these people to get back at my husband. And um, Did your husband read the book? He read the first part and d chose not to continue reading the rest of it. So, oh, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Do you think he might have been a little bit jealous as he read it? I think, you know, at this part, we're very respectful of each other's lives. As you should be. You know, uh, and so I think that he wanted to keep his life private and would probably prefer to keep my life private and somewhat unknown. So I, he, he may choose to read it at some point, but I know at this point he hasn't read it but yet. But you can imagine that he will reflect back and say, wow, uh, you know, uh, Kelly was a pretty attractive woman to be able to, you know, go under a situation where all these men are like flies on honey around her. Yeah, I mean, I, but that doesn't mean anyone's right for any one person, no, right? that's and so I absolutely think that's true. The point about all of these men, too, and that, those dating situations is that they're all great men, right? And so what is right for me or what's right for someone else, you know? And so. So, okay, so then Alex, and now we get to Aspen. And we meet Jake. <laughs> yes, Jake. So tell us, first of all, about the trip to Aspen. Uh, well, our trip to Aspen, it's an annual girl, girls' trip. Some of the girls have been coming here for nine years pretty consistently for, you know, the same time of year. And um, one of the girls on the, on the trip whose family owns a, a home here in Aspen actually met her husband um, on one of these girls' trips in Aspen. And um, so, you know, the, the, the whole idea of these girls coming to Aspen is just really rich in history and um you described Aspen in the book as a playground for the rich, which Absolutely. to a certain extent is. Yeah. We have regular people in Aspen, too. The rest of the world doesn't know, but, but there are regular people here. But we have incredibly successful, powerful, wealthy people. And interesting. I mean, I, that's the one thing that I, I love about the people in Aspen is that um, they are, you know, they live their lives in a bold way. You know, they have success, but they have failure. They really push themselves to try new things. Um, obviously, the attraction for um, wealth and beauty is there, but also the mind. I mean, it has Mind, such... body, and spirit. That's the Aspen ideal. Yeah. So, all right, so we're in Aspen, and we describe the, the usual venues, Ajax Tavern, the yes. Caribou Club, yeah. <laughs> uh, Cloud Nine. Yeah. Tell us what happened. Well, it was uh, initially, you know, at, at Ajax Tavern, I had, you know, sat down and I'm visiting with my friend um, whose family owns the home here and she's a regular and knows Aspen very well. And uh, the previous weekends, I had been spending some time with a musician that I had met in Austin and he was quite a bit the younger. The rock star. The rock star. In the holiday in a completely, <laughs> completely different downscale. Story. <laughs> See, I do go from the Pierre to the holiday There end. you go. Yeah. <laughs> So, Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, yeah, right? Yeah, it's alluring, right? So he was he was 10, you know, 12, maybe 15 years younger than I was. And Did that make you feel good? Of I mean, course. When men get yes. a younger, beautiful girl, it makes them feel 
good for want of a better term. But you felt, wow, I could like get this younger guy who's interested in me. Yes. Talk about that phenomenon. Well, I mean, uh, particularly a musician, you know, and his element or any, you know, uh, person who's in a great profession and is at the top of their, you know, game and in their own environment, um, which in this case was in Austin at our, at our music festival called ACL, Austin City Limits. He had performed um, a couple of weekends there and, you know, was in a situation where there's, you know, girls all over the music festival wanting to meet him and wanting to be a part of him. And the fact that he, you know, chose me and just... Was he a known musician? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's not like Eddie Vedder, but <laughs> he definitely yeah. is, you know, I mean... But you liked that. But you knew in your mind that wasn't going to be a long-term relationship. No, and that was the thing is, you know, in my mind, I definitely struggled with you know, hey, Kelly, you have four kids at home. I don't think you should really be spending time with somebody that lives on a tour bus, right? Right. So is sex better in the Pierre or in the Holiday Inn? It <laughs> depends on who you're with. Well, I never got that far with him. So, uh, But I enjoyed my time. And yeah. I enjoyed, the, you know, appreciating, again, a man appreciating you and making you feel special and making you feel pretty was important to me at that time. Okay. Yeah. So now we're back in it. We're back in Aspen and we're we're up at the Ajax Tavern. Up okay. at the Ajax Tavern, and um, I spot somebody in the uh, in the in the bar, and uh, happens to be another bald man. So if you're seeing a trend here, <laughs> yeah, well, grass doesn't grow on a busy street, right? <laughs> I guess so. So um, Jake, we're gonna call Jake, him Jake. Jake, um, and I. How old was Jake? He's um, 50, 51. Okay. He was actually here in Aspen at that time for his 50th birthday party. From where? A New York. Okay, New and Yorker. Yeah, another New Yorker in town. And so um, I'm very shy and would never approach anyone. And my friend Emma uh, motions to him, uses her two fingers, points at him and says, come over. So he doesn't like to admit how quickly, but it was fairly quickly that he came over to the table. Did you like Jake right away? <laughs> right away. Again, it was... Um, Biochemical. Chemistry, yeah. I mean, there was chemistry from across the room that I felt was there right away. So... Um, you know, we, we kind of took it slow into the weekend. Um, you know, my, my friend's husband had said, you know, was joking about the Aspen trip and said, oh, if, you know, she goes and she sleeps with somebody, it'll just be like not somebody for long term. But if she really goes and she likes, meets somebody she likes, she probably won't sleep with them. And so I definitely was attracted to, to Jake and wanted something long term, but kind of struggled with that. Because you knew it was a, also, a, he was here, and you know, you're going to go back to your yeah. lives. And it's hard when you're living a thousand miles apart. You may never see that person again or get that opportunity, really. Was so. Jake a nice person? Did you like Jake as a person? He really was. I mean, he was the first person, you know, that um, is successful, but also was very grounded, you know. I mean, you know, he didn't, he wasn't wearing the, the crazy cashmere sweater or, you know, he just was very uh, real and efficient and grounded and did he was he successful also yes yeah he is so. what kind of work did jake do he's uh private equity oh okay it yeah. seems to be a theme here <laughs> no. but the interesting thing and we have to say this on the yeah. show is that when you reached under tell us the story about reaching under the sheets ah oh, your favorite part of the story well it's just it was just so compelling to read it it was so brutally honest it was i mean you know at this point i Jake definitely opened up a, a sexual side for me. He, the, the chemistry was there, and it got my mind thinking about what I wanted, what I desired, and, you know, he's also um, 
the mind piece was there for me. He was very um, a positive and encouraging person and that sort of thing. And so he was good at relationships. Jay. Very good. Yeah. Very good at making me feel, you know, comfortable and, you know, all that sort of thing. And so, yes. Yeah, so Jake and I um, were on the couch and uh, <laughs> kissing and making out on my friend's aunt's couch <laughs> in Aspen. And um, I, yeah, I, you know, was just kind of feeling his body and exploring and um, had slid my hand down and was, you know, surprised by what I found, so. He was hung like secretariat. <laughs> Would that be fair? I'll let you say that, Jerry, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that was impressive to you. It sort of caught your attention, didn't it? It definitely spurred things on for me even more that I was, inter I was just really happy to be interested in sex again. I just say that, you know, I was yeah. thrilled with our chemistry and, and thrilled with my own thoughts and emotions and all of that, so. So then towards the end of the book, there starts to be some competition between all these men for your affection. You're getting text messages. You're with Jake. Alex is showing up. Timothy bounces back. How did that make you feel good? Um, at that point, I think I was confusing myself. I had, you know, kind of created this chaotic world where I, you know, wasn't really in a committed relationship at this point with anyone. I mean, Timothy and I had kind of let each other go, um, but we're still in contact as friends and, and, you know, is very supportive of me. And to, to this day, he is very supportive and um, enjoys, you know, seeing me grow and flourish. And so I always kept in touch with him. And then, you know, Jake and I started off very fast and furious, but it was a long distance relationship and we both had a various things going on and, and kind of call, called it off fairly quickly after that, which was, again, heartbreaking for me. And rather than kind of sit with that heartbreak, I kind of reached out for distraction. And, you know, Alex was there for a good distraction. He was coming into New York and said, let's get together. And he's got that great body. And yeah, that great body. And, you know, the Sotheby's auction was there and the phrase. And so I knew he's always a wonderful time. So, so. do you think... In this case, you're a, a mother of four, a divorced woman. Can you just be in love with one person, or do you think you can be in love contemporaneously with different people? I think you can really be in love with one person, and that's the thing I love about uh, a monogamous relationship is the unfolding of the, the person that you're getting to know and, and, and their wounds and their strengths and their weaknesses. Yeah, there's something to be said for getting together. to know someone, yeah. having them love you, yes. not just some sort of flashing, passing image of you that's not deep and real. Yeah. Um, and then we kissed Julia at the end. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, at this point, I had created a lot of chaos for myself in my life. And um, I think when you read the book, it's kind of exhausting. I mean, sometimes when I read it, I'm like, gosh, I was running and, and you know, searching and frantic and kind of ping-ponging around between, you know, what was right and what wasn't right. And um, I, I decided to just kind of take a break from men and went to see some friends in the British Virgin Islands and wound up finding a woman. <laughs> there you go. And you gave a brief kiss to Julia. I did. But it caught your attention because you mentioned it in the book. I did. I, th I, I think, you know, people are attracted to who they're attracted to. And again, that kind of was outside of my comfort zone of, of attraction or dating. And it gave me a piece of information that um, about myself and about what I like and don't like, you know, in a partner or people. And so it was, it was important for yeah, me. Yeah, it's a nice little wrinkle at the end of the book. Um, so 
You're a fascinating uh, author, a fascinating guest. Uh, I've enjoyed speaking with you today. The name of uh, Kelly's book is Back in the Game. You can get it on Amazon or at Explorer here in, uh, in Aspen. Are you in a relationship now? I am, yes. Good, yeah, good. I with am someone dating. from Texas? <laughs> Not from Texas, yeah. All right, well, don't tell us. You have to read the next book for that. That's right. Thank you for coming Thank on you, the show Jerry. today. Really you are great. It. If you see Kelly in town, please say hello to her, and we will see you next week. This podcast was brought to you by the Grassroots Community Network. Check out more of your favorite programs, browse our video on demand, and subscribe to our social media channels at www.grassrootstv.org.